verses 31 to 44. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demons threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are? With authority and power he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are not the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place, The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other town also, because this is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Well read. And... uh... I think we need to say a word of appreciation to those who have uh, put this service together, Mike and Simon and many others. And uh, there was a very peculiar stillness as we uh, took communion this morning. So thank you very, very much. Now I bring greetings from the uh, senior pastor-elect of Muttley Baptist Church. And, uh, oh, what's happened? Can we go back one? There. There. Can you see him? Back row, middle, Clive Bernard playing for Scarborough Rugby Football Club. And I show you this because a week ago, Clive was 60 years of age, not last Friday, the Friday before. And two rugby sides played each other. There was a Clive Bernard invitation, 15, and there was another side drawn from Andover. And uh, Clive played for 60 minutes. It wasn't an 80-minute match. 30 minutes each way. 60 minutes, one for each year of his life. And um, uh, his side lost (laughs) 10-5. And uh, here he is with his son, who was celebrating his 30th birthday, and they celebrated on the the same day. When they all got back to the clubhouse... Uh, apparently, uh, Clive um, gave a three-sentence sermon, slightly shorter than you can expect when he comes here uh, later on in the year, and um, prayed with two people afterwards. So it was a wonderful occasion. But he said to me when we chatted on the phone this week, uh, I said, how did it go last Sunday, breaking the news to Andover Baptist? He said, well, there was sadness and disappointment. But he said, as the week went on, Uh, We had some lovely messages that came through saying people understood 
and they were going to be praying and they were praying for us, which I thought was good. But then he said, he said, I had one text from somebody from Andover who had visited the Muttley Baptist website and had written to Clive to say, did you see what the sermon title was for last Sunday? Do you remember last Sunday's sermon? The title for last Sunday's sermon was Kill the Preacher. (laughs) So this person said, do you really want to go to Muttley, Plymouth? Well, the deed is done. Well, it was Kill the Preacher. Now, as we open chapter 4 of Luke, what we have in Luke is two congregations. It's a contrast. Nazareth that said, kill the preacher, and Capernaum that said, welcome. Nazareth was closed-minded, blind to the fact that this was Jesus, the Son of God. Capernaum recognized him. And what Luke is always doing, whenever he writes, is, is inviting us to step into the story. Uh, I, have, I love all the Gospels, but I love Luke for this part of his ministry. Uh, so here he's saying to us this morning, there are two churches, if you like. One called Nazareth, which doesn't have a clue what's going on and is hard-hearted and fixed in their ways. Another one called Capernaum. Jesus preached in both. In one they tried to kill him. In others, all sorts of wonderful things happened. Which one would you rather be part of? Jesus was the preacher who came and said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. I've got good news for the poor. I'm going to give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and release for the oppressed. And what he preached in Nazareth, he practiced in Capernaum. And when you read the verses, you can quite clearly see that the word amazement comes. When people saw what was happening, they were amazed. So I want you to be amazed. And here's the first thing I want you to be amazed about. I want you to be amazed as they were at the teaching of Jesus. Um, This actually is by Rembrandt, and it's Jesus in the synagogue uh, when he was 12. He was in the temple when he was 12. And the scribes and Pharisees, many of whom had got PhDs in the scriptures, they were amazed at how much knowledge this 12-year-old had. And here's Jesus preaching Capernaum and they were amazed because he preached, verse 32, as if he had authority. There were lots of preachers in the day of Jesus. Rabbi preachers. But this was the difference between the rabbi preacher and Jesus the preacher. The rabbis always took something dusty from an old teacher. In fact, they prided themselves on the fact there was no originality. One rabbi said to his congregation, everything you hear from me, I have heard from a teacher before. That's all they did. They simply took dusty thoughts from old teachers and passed them on. When Jesus came, what did he do? He took the word of God, the Bible. Now, it wasn't shaped like this. It was in scrolls. But Jesus was handed the Bible. And it was that part of the Bible, he did this in Nazareth, we must assume it was similar in Capernaum, although we're not told that. But in Nazareth, he takes the Bible and it's opened. And he begins to speak to them from very familiar passages that you know. From Isaiah, the great prophet, who prophesied one day the Messiah's coming. But this is the key verse in the book of Luke, in chapter 4. 
Jesus said, not only this is God's word as he opened it, but he said, today, this word is fulfilled in your hearing. It's God's word, but it's God's word for today. That's what made it unique. And of course, in other parts, as we know, as we go through, Jesus told wonderful illustrations, familiar stories, ten bridesmaids. He took a child and put it in the midst. He took a coin. He borrowed a boat and he preached from the pulpit. It was imaginative preaching, but above all, it was the opening of the word and saying, this is God's word for today. When I was a student living in London, I used to go to a church called the City Temple. I went because the preacher was a man called Leonard Griffiths, a Canadian pastor, wonderful Bible teacher. And there was great music by a man called Eric Tiemann, who was also a composer. The service always opened when somebody would walk down the aisle and there was a communion table when it wasn't prepared for communion. And they'd have a huge Bible, something like the one over there. And the music would suddenly become very silent. And then somebody would come down, one of the leaders, and would place an open Bible on the communion table. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I realize it now. What they were doing was reenacting what Jesus did whether it was Nazareth or Capernaum, he came and the word was opened. And out of it came, a word from the past became a word for today. Janet and I were members of a church in Didcot in Oxfordshire for 23 years before we moved back to Devon in 2010. And it was the custom in the church where we were that they would present a Bible before children and young people went out. They would present a Bible for good attendance or some achievement. And little girl was given her Bible in the service and afterwards over coffee, one of the older members who knew her well came up and said, can I see your Bible? So she handed the Bible, but she said, don't open it. So the older lady said, well, why not open it? And the little girl said, if you open it, you'll let God out. That's what we do every time we open the Bible. We say, Lord, we open the word and we say, let this be a word for today. Let God out and be amazed and see what happens. So the first thing we see that they were amazed at Jesus' teaching. The next thing they were amazed at was his authority. That's verses 33 to 37. Jesus demonstrates authority over the powers of evil. A demon-possessed man during the service. Jesus, in his preaching, has said, I've come to give freedom to the prisoner, release to the oppressed. Here was an oppressed prisoner, held by the forces of evil, and he needed to be released. So the synagogue congregation are silent as they hear Jesus teaching. And suddenly the silence is broken by the blood-curdling shrieks of this poor man. The demon in the man is awakened as the word is preached And what does he say, the demon shrieks, what do you want to do with us, Jesus? Have you come to destroy us? Well, the answer is yes. What the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the reason that Jesus, the Son of God, appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus, in confronting this demon, holding this man, is in fact saying what he does, not just in one person's life, but in all lives who are oppressed and held prisoner by evil forces. By his death on the cross, 
by his mighty resurrection, he has defeated once and for all the devil and all his demons. And in verse 34, notice the demon shows a deep knowledge of the preacher. He knows his name, Jesus. Knows where he comes from, Nazareth. Calls him the Holy One of God. Says, if you come to destroy us, don't never be over impressed by the knowledge of, of the evil world. James chapter 2 verse 19, even the demons believe there's a God and they shudder. And Jesus shows great pity for this man. He's going to heal him, bring him out of his prison, out of his oppression. But if he shows pity for the man, he shows severity for the demon with absolute authority. He defeats the enemy. No tricks, no spells, nothing endless, just the word of authority. Be quiet and come out of him. The word be quiet is be muzzled. He muzzles the demon. The demon throws the man to the ground and he comes out without injuring the man. Now why is it in verse 35 and verse 41 Jesus doesn't allow the evil spirits to speak? He says to the demon in verse 35, be quiet, and then later on in verse 41, he would not allow them to speak. Well, first, he doesn't want any endorsement of his ministry from these demons. That's number one. Number two, he doesn't want any popular movement like a a nationalist uprising to overthrow the Romans. There would be people who who would just narrow it down to him being a wonder working Messiah. He doesn't want that. So, For those two reasons, but I think also for this reason. Because the demons have no validity. They have an existence. We can see that in the life of the poor man. They exist, but they are not valid. They have no rights. They are to be rejected and denied. In the name of Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, they're alien intruders in God's world. They have no place in our lives, so in our in the power of the Spirit, in the name of Jesus. We say that. We say, be quiet and be gone. You have no right to rule here. Now, as we come as a congregation in uh, February 2015, there are twin errors that you must avoid when you come across passages like this in the Bible. Error number one, don't treat this passage lightly. You can begin, you can bring a 21st century sophisticated mind and say, well, that happened in the first century, but we're more advanced in our thinking. We know more about health and psychology and um, medical conditions were not diagnosed accurately in the time of, of Jesus. Today we have a superior scientific knowledge. Well, my friend, you need to get out more, if I may say that gently. Just as evil forces were abroad in the time of Jesus, they are still abroad today. And in some communities, you could not go in without being armed with a knowledge of what has to happen when somebody suddenly, their their speech, their personality changes. In the name of Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, you too have to say, be quiet and be gone. But the second, if the first is treating it lightly, dismissing it, it explaining it away, the second error is to take it too seriously. To overestimate the power of evil, to become fascinated with the world of exorcisms and witches and vampires and the horrors of voodooism. Both errors need to be avoided. Don't dismiss evil lightly. Don't become obsessed with it. If you become obsessed with it, then it clouds your vision of God. 
Yes, you do need to be armed with what the Bible talks about in terms of the devil. Learn the names. He's a liar. He's an arch deceiver. He's a prince of darkness. He's a murderer. But the world of the devil is all about darkness and lies and chaos. And he always brings oppression and judgment in his wake. And the world of Jesus is about order, truth and life. He's come to bring joy and peace and above all, freedom. So insane to the demons, be quiet and refusing them to speak. Jesus is putting them in their place. They have no validity in God's world or in your life. A little later on when we come to study Luke chapter 10, Jesus um, sends out 72 of his disciples, two by two. They're like an advance guard. He said, I'm going to send you to every village and every town where I am going to come, but you're to prepare the way. You've seen me teaching and you've seen me healing. I want you to go and do the same. So they went, 72 of them, went to all the villages and towns where Jesus was going to go like an advance guard. And then they come back and they report back to Jesus. And they are full of enthusiasm about the fruitfulness of what's happened. People listened and things happened. But this is what they said. Jesus, you'll never guess what. Even the demons submit to your name. And Jesus offers a warning to them as well as to us. He says this. Don't rejoice that the demons submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, God's blessing is on your life. There are those here this morning, perhaps, whose ministry is in the area of deliverance. They're wise. They never become obsessed with the ministry. They're more overwhelmed that their names are written in heaven. So, friends, be amazed at the authority of Jesus. So, whenever you encounter evil spirits seeking to possess and oppress people in the power of the Spirit, in the name of Jesus, you proclaim, come out and be gone. And then rejoice that your name is written in heaven. God's grace and goodness and blessing rests upon your life. So be amazed at the teaching of Jesus. Be amazed at the authority. And be amazed at his power. That's verses 38 to 39. I love this homely scene of hospitality. Uh, Peter, yes, that Peter, the Peter who was going to become the number one disciple. We're going to read about how he was called next week, chapter 5. Um, he lives in Capernaum and he's got his mother-in-law with him which probably tells us she's a widow if she had sons or a husband still alive she'd be living with them so she had no husband and she had no sons so her daughter says come and live with us and they must have been very excited that after the synagogue service Jesus was going to be the guest at a meal What happens is uh, she becomes a very, very sick lady. Uh, This gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, Luke's gospel is written by a doctor, Dr. Luke. And what we have here is medical language. When this story is recorded in other parts, they don't use the language here. Um, The language of high fever is medical language. Fevers in the first century were major and minor, high and low. This was a major fever. And this fever included dysentery. This is a very sick lady. And the family are very concerned for her. They're bold in their approach. Look at verse 38. They asked Jesus to help her. You know, sometimes you can come to the Bible and 
that the simplest things can pass you by. If somebody says to you after the service, you know, what was it about? Just take away this phrase if you take away nothing else. They asked Jesus to help her. It's a powerful phrase. Um, Janet and I, my wife and I, have a long-established custom. We, we've been believers, followers of Jesus for many years. But when, 49 years ago, we were married, we, fairly early on in our marriage, we, were, we would pray. We pray before we eat food and we pray at other times of the day. But when we reached a point where something really serious hit our family, we learnt to kneel. We'd kneel, you know, by the sofa, we'd kneel by the dining table, we'd kneel by our beds. We don't do that every day. It was a sign to us and a sign to the Lord. Lord, we really are helpless in this situation. You need to help us. It might be over finance, it might be over one of our kids, one of our grandkids, it might be a friend. It might be that we had disappointed one another and something really serious had come into our relationship to we just had to come to the Lord and say look we can't sort this out we didn't ignore it we didn't say when we're less busy there are times in my life when I said well after Christmas and then then after Easter and then after the summer holidays and in the end it's always after sometimes comes a moment when you have to say together on your own, with whoever. Lord, it's now. Jesus, I need your help. And I want you to be amazed at just how Jesus is willing to hear those prayers. I've actually heard people say to me, um, I can't bother God with that because, well, I should really sort this out for myself. Why? This is how you build a relationship with the Lord. Building a relationship with the Lord doesn't happen overnight. It, it begins when you talk to him and you say, well, what happens if the prayer isn't answered? Listen, I have lived with unanswered prayer for many, many years. I could tell you about some of those things. It doesn't mean to say I stopped praying. What it does is it deepens my awareness that Jesus, that when he said in his word, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you always. That I can honestly say, whether my prayers are answered in the way I want them to be or not. He has never left me and he has never forsaken me. When I offer that prayer, Jesus, I need your help. And what happens when the family uh, seek that? We can see what happens. They come knocking at the door of Jesus and he kneels. He comes and stands by this lady's bed. He rebukes the fever. And the fever departs and instantly she gets up and she serves them. One moment helpless with a high fever, the next moment serving him. But there's another uh, part, it's not this picture, it's those verses that follow from verse 40. Jesus, I think, had a wonderful time with them. A fantastic meal, I will be going out to Israel again in April and some folk here have been to Israel with me. And the feasting, whether it be Israel or Palestine, 
For me, the best food anywhere in the Middle East is Lebanese. Trust me. But they love, they just love feasting. So here they are. This home where now the lady is fit and able to serve them. And then sundown comes. Why, why does it say when the sun came down, people came knocking on the door with all these probably hundreds of people saying, Jesus, will you heal them too? Well, I'll tell you why they waited till the sun went down. Because on the Sabbath, it was a law, you could not carry anybody. So if you've got a friend who's sick or they didn't have wheelchairs, they would have like stretchers and helping people. You couldn't do that until the sun went down. Just a law. But once the sun went down, the Sabbath had ended, and that's why they all come crowding to where Jesus was. And here's another simple phrase I want you to note in verse 40. He laid his hands on each of them. He touched them individually. You say, well, does Jesus always have to do that? (laughs) If somebody's going to be made well, do you have to be touched by Jesus? No, you don't. When you read the Gospels, sometimes he heals at a distance. Somebody comes to him and says, oh, my little daughter is unwell. Jesus says, well, if you go home, she'll find she's better. So Jesus doesn't actually have to lay hands on people. He sometimes just gives a command, be well, see again, walk. But on this occasion, he laid his hands on every one of the crowd. I think that's fantastic. To think there's a personal blessing. We come together as a congregation But Christ meets us individually. We come together as one family to eat communion. And whether it was a grape or a piece of bread or a glass of wine, we drink it individually. We eat the bread, we take the grape individually. Because that's the blessing that Jesus wants to give to us. Person by person. He knows your name. He knows what makes you laugh and cry. He knows what you worry about. He even knows, and this is mind-boggling, he knows what you're going to do in ten years' time. Say, why doesn't he tell me now? Well, if he told you everything he wanted to do in your life now, you'd you'd just faint. You'd you'd say, that's unbelievable. So he just lets it out very slowly, quietly, gently. But what you are doing now, in school, in college, in university, whatever age you are, believe me, nothing with God is wasted. He's building something, secretly. And one day you'll look back and say, oh, I can see why. This is the individual blessing. He laid hands on each of them personally. So there are three things to be amazed about. Be amazed at the teaching of Jesus. And this is an old dusty book. It's a book which is a word for today. Be amazed at his authority. There is no power that can touch your life where his power is not able to break it. In the name of Jesus, in the power of the Spirit. Say to him this morning, Lord, this is oppressing me. Be gone in the name of Jesus and be amazed at his power. His willingness to come when we say, Lord Jesus, help me. He hears that prayer. And Lord Jesus, I I pray that you will lay your hands on me personally and give me that blessing. Let me, uh, can I go back? No, I can't. I wanted to show, can you get me back to that picture, the very last one? That one. And bring it up on full screen. That's what we've been thinking about this morning. Just bow and let me pray for you. Lord, we stand amazed in your presence. Jesus of Nazareth. 
We're amazed that you could love us before you met us and cleaned us up. We were condemned sinners and unclean, but how marvelous, how wonderful your love for us. You took our sins and our sorrows, you made them your own, you nailed them to the cross at Calvary. So we pray as this week we open our Bibles. Give us a word for today, a living word. And for all those things that make us frightened, sometimes evil powers, we thank you that you have conquered the powers. You hold the keys of life and death and hell. And thank you too that you are a wonder-working God. Help us to offer you the simple prayers and receive the great blessing. And these things we ask in Jesus' strong name. Amen.